Yeah, greetings in the Master's name. It's one anniversary. It's not on the announcement sheet. Uh, a little different. Uh, March told me that today, or I'm not sure it's the exact day, but um, it's the 122nd anniversary of the first meeting at Mabel Memorial Chapel. And so uh, I was a little curious. I looked up August the 8th, 1899, and that happened to be on a Tuesday. I don't know if uh, they met on Tuesday or if this week is the anniversary, but anyway, 122nd anniversary of the first service here at Mabel. Expository preaching is supposed to be um, a good kind of preaching, and uh, a lot of my preaching, I guess, isn't expository. It's more topical, although I do like expository preaching. Uh, preach different times through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, preach through Book of Peter. I'm not sure which all books I preached through, but uh, years ago I had preached through this Book of Hebrews, and I was thinking about that again. Um, kind of thinking maybe to start some messages on Hebrews. I the other time, it took about 10 years to get through it, um, and I'm not sure I have that long. Uh, but, um, and of course, not every Sunday. You know, for us, it's a little different than like a Baptist preacher who preaches Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, and so you can move a little faster. Um, and then, of course, there's other things come to mind, and so I guess that's where the leading of the Spirit comes in. Like just sitting here this morning, I was thinking about a message title that I don't know if I'll ever preach, but it was uh, The Hindrance of Perfection. And um, so uh, so those things come and whether or not a person's supposed to preach on it. But So anyway, this morning, I uh, thought we'd start uh, Hebrews. You can turn to chapter 10, verse 1. I was looking at some things I had at home on Hebrews, and I had saved this quarterly. It was a 2015 quarterly. Hebrews, the book of better things, was the title of it. Uh, every, the uh, Sunday school lessons are on an eight-year cycle. The adult ones are. And so maybe in a few years we'll be doing this again. But the book of better things, book of better things, now, Hebrews 10, verse 1 says, The law having a shadow of good things to come. And that's basically the phrase I wanted. The law having a shadow of good things to come. And then this is the better things, it said. But um, the good things to come. Now, the law was a shadow of good things to come. We know what a shadow is. Your shadow, sun shines on your light, and so you got this shadow, but the shadow's not you. It represents, well, kind of represents you. Sometimes people make these silhouette cutouts, you know, like shine a light, and then, you know, you draw it on a piece of construction paper or something, uh, but it's not you. It's kind of a shadow of you. And so the law was just a shadow of what was coming. And uh, what was coming was the substance. The shadow is just the image of the substance. And so the book of Hebrews 
since the law was a shadow of the good things to come, and in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the good things that have come. So what are those good things? Well, that's what the book is about. Um, often in a study like this, a book study, you think about, well, an outline for the book. And it can be very detailed. It can be very general. A very general outline for the book of Hebrews is that the first uh, uh, verse 1 through uh, 10, 18 is doctrinal. And then the rest of the book is practical exhortations, except the last few verses are a personal message. Um, another thing that's often considered is to whom the book is written. Well, uh, there's no location given as to far as to where it was addressed, but of course it's the epistle to the Hebrews, and that so it's written to the Jewish people, Jewish believers. Uh, uh, just like, you know, we talk to nowadays about Muslim background believers. Well, this would have been Jewish background believers became Christians. Um, the, uh, the focus or theme, what's the focus or theme of the book? And uh, I'd like to read a little bit from uh, uh, Erdman's uh, thoughts on uh, Hebrews. I thought he did a good job of talking about the theme. The great reality under discussion is that of the possibility of free and unrestricted access to God. And then he talks more about that. The writer presents Christianity as the perfect and therefore the final religion because it is the religion of free and unrestricted access to God. This access has been made possible by the atoning work of Christ. Through him, men can draw near and can enjoy pardon and peace and fellowship with God. By his becoming man and by his redeeming death, Christ has secured the enjoyment of such immeasurable benefits. How great then must be the peril of turning away from him and of neglecting the salvation he has secured. There are several warnings in the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> now, this is not necessarily... Uh, quite tied to that focus, but there was something he wrote here that was kind of uh, intriguing. To the writer of the Hebrews, the ancient ritual, and he's talking about all of the Jew Old Testament Jewish ways, the ancient ritual belonged to this visible world, which is a world of shadows. Christ belongs to the unseen world, which alone is the world of realities. So, let me read that again. To the writer of the Hebrews, the ancient ritual belonged to this visible world, which is a world of shadows. Christ belongs to the unseen world, which alone is the world of realities. So that made me think, are you, am I living in the world of shadows or in the world of realities? So, well... One more thing. This high priestly work of Christ is the great theme of the epistle. As the guilt and consciousness of sin are removed, access to God and fellowship with him are made possible that such access may be enjoyed and lives of holiness may be lived is the continual aim of the epistle. And that, that, that's a good... Uh, summary of the theme the focus of the the epistle 
God told Adam and Eve, when you eat of the tree, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. And they did. And so fellowship with God was broken. And we, we've grown up with this teaching about Jesus and what he's done for us. And we just almost kind of take it by second nature. Just to think of the, the possibility, the reality of having, a, of, of being able to come into the presence of God, of having fellowship with God. That fellowship was broken in the garden. Now, the Old Testament rituals were a way for a man to approach God, but it wasn't as personal for most of them. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. And in the book of Hebrews talks about all that. It just goes over and over that. But to think of the prayer, and uh, uh, many, many places around the world, cultures and so on, people, they're, they're in a religion, they're afraid of God, whoever God is. And to think of God being uh, personal and being able to come into his presence and having fellowship and communion with him is just fantastic. And, well, okay. Now, one other thing that often is thought of uh, when you look at a, a book, a letter, is who the author is, who's the writer. So now I'm going to ask, give you a little quiz. What is the first word in the letter to Romans? Anybody want to take a guess? Paul. Okay, what's the first word in the letter to the Corinthians? Guess? Paul. Okay, how about Galatians? Paul? Ephesians? Philippians? Colossians. The letters to the Thessalonians. Timothy. Titus and Philemon. How about the uh, letter of James? What? James. And what about the letter of Jude? Jude. And what about Letter to the Hebrews. God. That's interesting. There's been a lot of thoughts over the centuries as to who the writer to the Hebrews is. And that's really not really, we don't have to know. 
So the writer of all these other letters, uh, you know, it starts out who the writer was. God is the author, but the book of Hebrews, God, that's the way it starts out. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And there's three words there that are so powerful. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us. God hath spoken. Those three words. God hath spoken. I think it was back in the 1990s, I'm not sure. There was this project called CETI, S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It was funded by the government for quite some time. They had the radio telescopes all around the world. Uh, they were kind of coordinated. They was looking for, for um, uh, signals from outer space. Is there someone out there talking to us? Well, there is. <laughs> there is. God has spoken. And, uh, yeah. Let's read the first chapter. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all like old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy year shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Set on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake, uh, just uh, looking at some of the specifics here, the uh, God at sundry times, um, Strong's Concordance says in many portions, we know the Old Testament is written over a period of about 1,500 years by um, forget how many writers they say forty some writers that might be the whole whole um, 
inspired scripture, including the New Testament, but in uh, and in different pieces, here a little, there a little. That was the way the Old Testament came. In other words, the writer to the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, talking about what they had in the Old Testament, God at sundry times and in diverse manners in various ways. You could just, if we wanted to make it sort of simple in our language, we would just say God who at various times and in various ways spake in time past. But the uh, the uh, diverse manners, uh, Strong says, variously as to method or form. God spoke on Mount Sinai. He, you know, gave the law on Mount Sinai. Um, over the centuries, God spoke in different ways, like Samuel was the last judge, David was the songwriter, Solomon, Proverbs, and we have the prophets. But God spoke in different ways. But in these last days, God's full and final revelation is Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself ultimately and fully in Jesus Christ. By his son in these last days, these last days. And so I guess we're still in the last days. But Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation. A few other scriptures, John 1, 17 and 18, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. It says in verse 2, spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. And uh, just uh, in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. All things will be put under him. But it says not yet quite fully because Jesus said Satan is the prince of this world. And so Satan is still ruling in those ways and not everything yet has been put under, under Christ, but it will be. He's the heir of all things. And it says, by whom also he made the worlds. And again, in verse 10 of chapter 2, it became him for whom are all things and for whom are all things and by whom are all things. It says in that verse. So everything is for him and everything is by him. Uh, we were created for him in, in John, uh, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That's very specific, very nailed down, that he is the creator. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And maybe I'll just... Uh, digress here a little bit, uh, or not exactly digress, but um, this come, this will come out over and over in the book of Hebrews that exactly what 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 did the what did the writer have in mind 
uh, what was his, well, the, we already went over the focus, but, but what was the situation of the people that he wrote to? And see, we don't exactly know. We don't know. Some people think that it was addressed maybe to the Christians at Rome. Some think it was maybe addressed to the Christians in Palestine. But it seems like maybe there was uh, some tendency, some danger of them to become discouraged in their Christian life. And, uh, as, as people who moved from Judaism to Christianity and whether or not they're Jewish friends or family or whatever would have said, you know, look what you walked away from. I mean, we've got the temple. We've got all these practices. We have all this history. And you just walked away from it. What do you have? And the writer to the Hebrews was saying, you have Jesus. Look at who Jesus is. And look what he's done. Look what you have in Jesus. And so he's establishing who Jesus is. First of all, here in these verses, who, who Jesus is, who you have when you have Jesus. And so, who being the brightness of his glory. So, it goes back to God. God spoke, and then verse 3 says, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory. And that, the, the word there is actually effulgence. And the, well, well, what is that word? It's sort of radiance. Um, the idea is radiance. Uh, the American Standard Version said the effulgence or radiance of his glory. And I looked up, well, what, what is, what the, what's the definition of effulgence? And it's a brilliant radiance, a shining forth. So Jesus is the brightness, the outshining, the radiance of God's glory. And then it says the express image of his person. And the word express there, you could think of the word impress, image. It's like what's stamped on a coin. Or uh, one place I read, I think, when I was studying it, um, it's like uh, the, the, um, the impress of a, on a wax seal, like a very official document would be maybe rolled and tied and have a little bit of a wax seal and a, the emperor, the king, or whatever his ring would would be pressed into that warm wax. That was an official seal that represented him. But anyway, it, it was the whatever's on that ring. That official ring was stamped in that. It was the exact image of what was on the ring. But it's it's like okay, so Jesus, it says, is the express image of God. The express image of his person, and that word person is not. Well, I don't want to be too crude here. It's not, it's not talking about two ears and two arms and so on. It's talking about substance, the substance of God. Jesus is the express image of who God is in substance. It's his being. And um, so the image stamped on coin seals wax expresses the idea. The illusion here is the impression made by a seal of molten wax. And in Colossians, we have the words, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Brightness and image both intended to express and emphasize the same idea, the perfect 
revelation of God embodied in Christ. Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. In our earthly state, uh, I don't think we're I don't think we're able to I don't think we're I don't think we can come into God's presence literally I'm not, how can I get this across I, did, I, I feel like that we, we, we could not literally see God in our glorified bodies we can go to heaven we'll be we'll be redeemed body soul and spirit we still have an earthly body but Jesus became a man he came down to us so we can see what God is like by seeing Jesus he's the express image of God we know what God is like because we haven't we weren't there in Palestine, but the word shows us what Jesus was like. He's the exact representation of God. We can know God by knowing Jesus. Then verse 3 says, it goes on to say, upholding all things by the word of his power. Uh, again, going to Colossians one uh, seventeen. he is before all things and by him all things consist the word consist there means held together uh, it, the part of the at the end of the chapter it, it talks about how things are going to change uh, they're going to wear out uh, but right now things are held together by Christ and then it says when he had by himself purged our sins And there's a tremendous amount of um, truth in that. Purged our sins. Uh, again, going to chapter 10, where we started there, we're looking at that phrase. Chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, purged our sins. John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And again, it's difficult for us to I don't know, grasp, grasp the weightiness of that. To be purged from our sins uh, 
when I was in school, one of the or well, one of the students was uh, I think he took class in world religions, and uh, he was I think he was actually planning to maybe um, major in that, maybe get a degree in that, uh, an advanced degree, because his goal was to get into closed countries to share the gospel as as maybe a a professor, uh, and if he was a, uh, a person who could teach world religions, he thought maybe he could. But anyway, he said that when he took that class in world religions, what he saw, I'm, I'm not sure what all the other students saw, but he was a, he was a Christian. And what he saw was that Christianity is the only religion that has the answer to the sin problem. Jesus Christ purged our sins. And then it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And there again, the, the significance of what of that wording is something we just don't normally think about. Um, one place I was studying said those words set down are never used of his pre-existing state co-equal with the Father, but always of his exalted state as Son of Man after his sufferings and as mediator for man in the presence of God. And the reference with that was Romans 8.34 who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. And so he took his seat. That's a formal and a dignified act. Uh, Christ resumed his original dignity and glory. Uh, John Wesley said, sat down. The priests stood while they ministered. Setting, therefore, denotes the consummation of his sacrifice. This word, set down, contains the scope, the theme, and the sum of the epistle. His work is finished. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And read a few verses there. Apostle Paul is saying he's praying for the Ephesians that they'll realize what they have in Christ. And part of his prayer here, well, the bulk of it here at the end of the first chapter in Ephesians, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, this verse 18, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
Then in the, uh, the rest of the first chapter here in Hebrews, it goes on to talk about Christ's superiority to angels. In fact, it's showing Christ's superiority. Uh, here it's angels, and then it's Moses and Joshua and so on. And uh, maybe we'll uh, cover that the, the next time. I kind of wanted to close with some thoughts. In the, It was interesting to me in this book, the, the Quarterly, it said that this book, warns of the dangers of unbelief and apostasy and it describes the antidote to apostasy. Now, you know, that's something that we're very concerned about is apostasy. And so it said that the book of Hebrews describes the antidote to apostasy. Now, what is an antidote? Um I think we know what an antidote is, but it's a medicine taken or given to counteract a particular poison. Uh, well, the poison here is being apostasy. And so it said one of the key antidotes to apostasy is seeing Jesus. See, if we would think about what is the antidote to apostasy, we would think, oh, we got to have solid teaching. That's true. Got to have right belief. That's true. But this says one of the key antidotes is seeing Jesus for who he is and accepting his claim upon our lives. I thought about some songs thinking about seeing Jesus. Uh, the whole focus of the book of Hebrews is seeing Jesus. Uh, chapter 3 says uh, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession. The word consider there has the idea of gaze upon. I think it's chapter 12 it says uh, looking unto Jesus. And so I think this is a, a, a very uh, true statement. One of the key antidotes for apostasy is seeing Jesus for who he is and accepting his claim on our lives. So one of the songs I was thinking about was Fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy. So I, I thought, well, I wonder if it's in this book. Well, it is. Uh, fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy. Jesus is mine. Break every tender tie. Jesus is mine. The next song was I'd Rather Have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches than houses. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. That's what it says. And another little book I was looking at, uh, Devotional Commentary on the Book of Hebrews by F.B. Meyer, and he refers to um, something that Pliny, who was a Roman historian, wrote to the emperor about the Christians, he tells the emperor that the Christians of Asia Minor were accustomed to meet to sing praise to Christ as God. As each morning broke, the believer of those primitive days repeated in private the Gloria in Excelsis as his hymn of supplication and praise. Thou only art holy. Thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, are most high in the glory of God the Father. And I I think it was F.B. Meyer then that added to that, 
the early church did not simply admire Christ, it adored him. I like that statement. The early church did not simply admire Christ, it adored him. Of course, the first song we sang, I was thinking about the words of that song in relation to the message and uh, how it tied in. First song we sang this morning, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. First verse of the Hebrew talked about that. Oh, my soul, praise him for he is thy health and salvation. All you here now is to his temple draw near. Praise him in glad adoration. The early church did not simply admire Christ, it adored him. Do I adore Christ? Do I? See, that, that song says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Do I adore Christ more than food? More than certain kind of vehicle more than sports more than certain pieces of attire it's it, 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 it it's all encompassing adore Christ looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. And so that's that's what the writer of the Hebrews was pointing his audience to for the struggles they faced. And so as we face another week, as we continue on, as the Lord gives us days, Will we do more than admire Christ? Will we adore him? Will we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Let's kneel for prayer. Father, we come to you through Jesus, through Christ, your Son, our Savior, one who intercedes for us, sitting at your right hand, making it possible for us to approach you. And Father, we worship you for your, for your love for us, for creating us, for drawing us back to yourself, for working in our lives, for who you are, the Almighty, Sovereign, Infinite One, and our personal friend and father. We thank you for the plan of salvation, that our sins can be purged, that we can live with a, a conscience that doesn't condemn. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And Father, as we look over our lives, we thank you for your patience and long-suffering. And so we 
we uh, face the future with courage and hope because of your promises. And Father, we recognize that we have continual need of your cleansing, continual need of your teaching, and may we be willing to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So may the meditation of our hearts, our thoughts, be acceptable to you. As we go through this coming week, Father, I pray that we might adore you and love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So may your Holy Spirit work, work in us to to live to the praise of your glory and to uh, be attractive, Father, that others may want to come to know you too, the Savior that we love. So, Father, guide us to and strengthen us and enable us to be what we should be as your ambassadors on earth to draw others to you and to give you the praise due unto your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Have a song.